Well, good morning, everybody. I might set this down before I knock it off there. There you go, Joe. Wow, it is really, really good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my wife, Carmen, and our kids, um, this, is, this is just wonderful. We are very, very honored uh, to get to, to share this morning, but more so to just get to walk together uh, for however long God has in store for us. Um, I'm very, very grateful. I'm looking forward uh, to getting to know you. I've met some of you, uh, but I'm looking forward to getting to know you better and having a cup of coffee or uh, a meal together and just getting to hear your story, getting to see how God is at work uh, in, in your lives. It's, it's a great joy. Um, I thought it might be helpful for you uh, to, to hear a little bit of our story of like where we're, where we're coming from. And, uh, and how we ended up here in, uh, in northeastern Ohio. Um, I'll say this, so I was, both Carmen and I were, were born and raised here in northeastern Ohio. I grew up closer to Millersburg and Carmen in the, the Dalton area. And, uh, and then we felt like, actually in December, we'll have been married for 20 years. So, which is hard to believe since, yeah, well, thank you. It's uh. It's, it's really special since we're both 30, um, and so we're not 30. So uh, after, shortly after we got married, and even as we were, as we were dating and kind of discerning, you know, life together and our future, we both felt called to serve the church, felt this call to ministry. And, and part of, like, our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that we say yes to Jesus no matter what his question is to us. I mean, to, part of what it means to call Jesus Lord is to say, yes, Lord. It's actually an oxymoron to say, no, Lord, right? They, they don't fit together. And so uh, part of that, uh, sometimes Jesus asks you to do things that at first you don't really want to do. And for that, for us, was moving to Kansas. Um, now, we first, when we felt this call to move to Kansas, we felt like we were being called to Nineveh, right? You know the story of Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh. Uh, we have since repented of that, and uh, we are glad that God called us to Kansas because it, uh, it was such a great, uh, a great period of our lives. We actually went to, uh, to Heston, Kansas, where there we got to overlap with, with Dennis and Jeannie, and Sarah was a couple of years old maybe at that point. And so super cool to just, yeah, be back in, in connection with, with you guys. So we spent a couple years in Kansas, thought, well, we'll, we'll end up back here in Ohio and again, God had other plans, and we ended up staying in Kansas. We, um, we fell in love, um, not with each other. We were already in love with each other, but we fell in love with this church. The church was uh, Journey Mennonite Church, and we spent the next 15 years of our life as a part of Journey Mennonite Church and serving the church as, uh, as a pastor in a, a number of different, different roles, and we loved Kansas. Uh, it's not as flat as you think. There aren't as many tornadoes as you think. It's more beautiful than you think. If you've only experienced Kansas on I-70, you haven't experienced Kansas. You need to, you need to go off the highway a little bit. And so we had uh, three uh, little Kansans that came into our family. Uh, so kids with Kansas birth certificates, uh, Brenna, Eden, and, and Grayson. And if you were going to ask me uh, as recently as maybe a year and a half ago, hey, Eric, where are you going to be in 20 years? My answer would have been, I'm going to be in Hutchinson, Kansas. Like, this is, this is where we're called. And um, 
something interesting happened to us. We were about five years into ministry there in Hutchinson, and I was restless. I was just like, I, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a person who likes change, and I was, I was kind of restless, and I felt like, okay, my mindset in ministry uh, in Hutchinson, Kansas, was like, God, we're here until. But the assumption is there's going to be an until moment that you're going to uproot us and have us move somewhere else. And I felt very clearly, and Carmen and I together, about five years in, um, that we were supposed to change our mindset to say we are here unless. And we're not holding out any unless options. Like, we're just putting roots down uh, deeply. And, and that changed, it changed us, it changed uh, the church, it changed our ministry. And that was, um, that was the way we were, were living and it was, it was good and rich and hard and beautiful and all of that. And then about two years ago, um, it was less than that. It was about a year and a half ago. All of a sudden, yeah, just this, this change started to happen in our hearts, both Carmen and I at the same time. And um, Carmen is much more sensitive to what God is saying than I am. I'm usually slower to hear. She usually hears things a little quicker, and then she's very patient with me while I catch up. And she started to sense, like, something is changing. Like, our hearts are just kind of being unsettled in some ways. And it was about the first of the the year, um, last year, 2022, that, um, yeah, and I can talk more about the circumstances, but it was kind of a a sequence of family circumstances here in Ohio that just opened my heart up to say, I, I, th- I think our time's up. I, th- I think, like, something has changed and our time is up and, and we're being moved from, uh, from Kansas to Ohio. And, um, and we came to that through, you know, when you're settled somewhere and then all of a sudden you, you feel like you're being uprooted, I mean, that's painful the relationships that you have that are deep and strong, you know, that hold you, like, oh, there's grief in that. And, and, and yet, as we prayed and lots of long walks and late nights and tear-filled prayers and conversations, we felt a peace. Like, oh, this is what God is calling us to. He's, he's calling us um, to, to Ohio. And so we, uh, we ended our time at Journey Mennonite Church in July and wanted to, wanted to end well and wanted to do everything in our power to set the church up so that they could flourish um, after we were gone. And then we had no idea what was next for us. We knew we were moving back to northeastern Ohio. Uh, we knew um, our kids, were, uh, we knew the school they were going to jump into. We kind of knew where we were going to live. And we knew we were going to take three months of sabbatical rest. Um, partly to grieve the loss. That's uh, an important practice. Like when you have change and loss, you, you, just to name it, grieve it, allow God to heal your hearts. That was a big part of it. For us, it was making sure our kids were settled in and they, they got connected and they got the best of our time and attention. Um, and then it was just making connections, putting, uh, putting down roots and, and getting to know church leaders. And so Matt was great. Uh, Matt um, had a, you know, a couple cups of coffee over those months, and just very welcoming into the Ivana network. And, um, but our, our first three or four months in Ohio felt a lot like this. I forgot, living in Kansas, Kansas is very dry. There we go. Um, it's just blank. That's what it was. I forgot how many foggy days there were in Ohio. Right? The summer last year, it, just like, it just felt like there were always these foggy days. And I get up in the morning, we take the kids to school, um, it was August or so, and 
just go for a walk. And this became an analogy for like our, this season of life for us. It just felt like, okay, God, I know the sun is there and I can see just enough in front of me that I, I can kind of keep walking and not bump into any things, but God, I am, I am in the fog here. Have you ever felt like that? We're just like, I, I'm uncertain of, of what the future is going to hold, but God, I trust you. And, and I know that at some point the fog is going to clear and there's going to be clarity. And until then, I'm just going to keep walking with him. I trust that you're with me in the fog. And that's how, that's how those months felt for us. And so um, we kind of poured ourselves, um, after those three months, poured ourselves into some, some work. We like to remodel things. So we did a bunch of remodel projects and painting. And um, I took a job managing some commercial um, some commercial properties for a family business, but we still, like, we feel called to serve the church. And um, we visited over the last, like, seven months, we probably visited 25 churches or so, like, just getting to know the body of Christ. And uh, we're not church shopping. I like that, the phrase, please don't, please don't ever use that phrase. Um, I, I get it, we, we, we use it, but it's just, like, you know, it's kind of like importing these consumeristic ideas onto the church. And so uh, for us, it's just like getting to know the body of Christ, like the churches, uh, the leaders, and it was very, very good. And so about last October, and I forget when it was, it was probably late October, um, we were going to, I talked to Matt, I'm like, hey, can we just come visit LifeBridge? He's like, oh, absolutely, you'll be very welcome. So it was probably um, late October, and, and it ended up being Brenna, my oldest daughter and I, because Carmen was home with some sick kids. I came and sat over here, and, uh, and we were still very much kind of in this kind of foggy um, season of our life. And we walked in, and we just felt like immediately, just like the warmth of your congregation. Um, people, people were very kind to us, saw us, um, welcomed us, Bob prayed for us. He's like, oh, you have a sick kid at home. Can I just pray for you? And it was just such a beautiful uh, experience. And, and I left, and, and when we visit churches, um, we don't ask our kids, we never ask our kids, Do you, did you like it? Because I'll be honest, I don't really care if they liked it or not. I don't care. What I care about is if they experience the presence of Christ and what is, was transformative about it and where they saw God at work. And, um, and we left, and, and the immediate phrase that I had in my mind was, wow, that's a beautiful church. It's a beautiful community. And um, met with Matt, you know, a short time later, and, and I think that was my, you know, that was my feedback. It was like, wow, it's a, it's a beautiful community, beautiful church. And everybody I've talked to about LifeBridge over the last couple of, couple of um, you know, months or whatever has been like, when I talk about it, I'm like, wow, this is a beautiful community. And then it was, you know, it was a short time later after we visited that I, I found out that, you know, Tyler and Aaron were going to be leaving. <clears throat> And um, I met with Jim Bartholomew, your regional pastor, and, and he asked, like, would, would you be open to, like, to stepping in at LifeBridge? And, and my immediate response was, was yes. Like, absolutely, like, there was an immediate yes in my spirit. And, and although, like, we feel very much like God has placed us in, in Dalton, Ohio, like that neighborhood, and, and that long-term our ministry is, is close so that, like, you know, people can be in our home, and, I mean, that's what we feel called to. Um, as we talked about, like, this interim season of getting an opportunity to just 
be among you and walk together, even if it feels like kind of walking through a foggy season, there was a deep, deep yes inside of us to be here. And so, so, so grateful uh, to be here. So that's a little bit, that's a little bit of our story. It's a little bit of how we, how we got here. Um, and, and I do think life is a story. Life is a story to be lived more than it is like a problem to be solved. It's, and, and God is an is a unbelievable storyteller, right? I mean, we look back sometimes like, wow, God, like, this is super cool. Um, now, I have a confession to make, which might be odd for, hey, this is your first sermon. Maybe you shouldn't confess things. But a uh, confession, it's not it's like super serious. But part of it is this. I don't know how to preach to people I don't know. I'm, I'm serious. I don't know how to do that. I preached to like the same congregation. Of course, there were like new people who came in, but like same congregation for 15 years. So can we do something? Can we just kind of pretend we know each other? I mean, it's just like we'll get to know each other, but if, if we could, you know my story now. I'll get to know your story soon. Um, but I, as I was thinking about this like over the last week and, and, and praying, I was like, okay, God, like I don't know how, I don't know how you to, to preach to people I don't know, and, and here was the impression I had in my mind. is like, oh, wow, like, I'm praying to my father, and you pray to your father, and guess what? It's the same father, and we pray to the same father, which makes us family. Yeah, we're brothers and sisters. We're family, um, and, and that's, like, that's really, really good news, and even more than just being family, we have the same spirit inside of us, Right? I mean, we have the same spirit that calls out Abba, Father, the spirit that is our advocate and our comforter and our companion that convicts us when we lose our way to bring us back to Jesus. We have the same spirit inside of us. Um, that we're one in Christ, like already. Even though maybe we haven't even met each other, we are one in Christ. We have far more in common with each other um, than, than we do in, in people in our lives who maybe like we, we look like them or we cheer for the same team as them, but they, they don't know Christ. Like we have more in common than that. Um, and, and that's encouraging. I got to spend some time just this past week with, with two um, new friends from Kenya. And uh, it, was, it was a great conversation. And, and you ever meet people like that and you're just like, wow, we're family. Like you just know like there's this bond that you share like deep, deep in in our hearts because of, of who Christ is in us. And so since we're, since we have the same father, since we're family, can I just share my heart with you? Can, would that be okay? Um, like praying over the last, over the last couple of weeks, like knowing that this day is coming and like, okay, God, what do you want to say to, to the people of LifeBridge, to my brothers and sisters at LifeBridge? And, and it's like super clear because it was the very same thing that I felt like the moment I stepped in this place. Like, LifeBridge, you are a beautiful church. You're a beautiful church. Now, it has nothing to do with the way you look. You're beautiful people, but it has nothing to do with the way you look, and it has nothing to do with this building. It has everything to do with who you are, with who Jesus has formed you to be, with the, the hearts that are hungry for the presence of Jesus, with him being at the center of your life uh, together. Um, you are a beautiful church. And just like this overwhelming sense that God sees you, and even if it feels like you're in a foggy season, God sees you, and he loves you, and he celebrates you, and he delights in you. Um, I, I, I love this. Like in Psalm 18, verse 19, it says this, he brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted 
in me. Like your father delights in you. Yesterday I was sitting uh, watching my kids out the window as I'm like kind of working on things and I'm watching my son play with two of his friends kind of in the, in the woods a little bit and they're just playing and wrestling and getting muddy and I just like have this big smile on my face as their father watching my son and I delight in that when he's having fun. And then I, I watch my, my daughter who's um, making a mess in the kitchen baking a cake and she is having a great time. I won't mention which daughter this was. So she is like loves is getting lost in a recipe and baking uh, a cake with a, with a friend. And I was like, wow, I just get this smile on my face as a father who delights in his daughter having this great time. And then the cake she baked is really, really good. Um, and then my oldest daughter, I guess I kind of gave it away who was who there. Um, sorry, guys. <laughs> Nothing like telling stories on you the first Sunday. And I watched my oldest daughter just like sit down at the piano and she's like, she's got these songs she's supposed to be playing, but she's just like playing what's on her heart and going from one song to the next. And it's like, wow, I just like delight in my daughter who's doing this. And your father like delights in you. And I don't know if you feel that. I don't know if you like can like rest in that this morning, that your father, he sees you and he loves you and he delights in you. And if you can just like receive that. Um, Whatever is going on sort of in your soul today, like maybe there's a lot of change and change is hard. And, and so maybe there's a sadness in your heart today. And that's okay. And that's normal. And that's right. Um, as a church, I know you've said goodbye to dear friends who've moved away. And you said goodbye to the pastor and his family just last week. And so, like, maybe there's hurt and there's uncertainty and there's questions. And it, it feels like you're in the fog. And I trust that, like, God wants to meet you in these vulnerable places that he, he loves. I love the what Jesus says, or what's said about Jesus in Matthew 12, like when we're wounded, when we're, we're kind of in a vulnerable place, here's, here's how Jesus responds. A bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Man, I love this. That's the heart of Jesus. He's gentle especially when we're vulnerable, especially when it feels like, whoa, just a strong breeze and I might break here. I'm hanging by a thread. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's how you feel today or not, or if some of you feel that way, but just trust that, like, that's, that's all God needs. Like, he's gentle and he's, he's with you. So, that was my introduction. Kind of a joke, but. Um, beautiful church. So I'd like to just look a little bit um, at this church in Antioch, this, this text that was read this morning in, in Acts uh, chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're just going to look at a couple of verses here. This, this church in, in Antioch, um, that is a, is a beautiful church. So I want to reread uh, Acts 11 verses 19 to 21. It says this, Now, now those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that took place when uh, over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, that's like Greeks, non-Jews, Gentiles, um, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. So here, here we have the story of like the origin of the birth of this beautiful church in, in Antioch. A little bit of context here. It's, um, it's after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And, you know, there are 
a, a relatively small number of Christians. Like, right, on the day of Pentecost, there were like 120 people who were gathered and, and praying and, and believing that Jesus was his promise that if they wait on him, they're going to receive power to be witnesses to the rest of the world. And so they're there. And then in Acts 2, that day comes and the day of Pentecost is there. And God pours out his spirit on those, on those scared believers who are kind of in the fog, um, not sure what the future is going to hold, and God pours out his spirit on them, and they just get emboldened with, like, the fire of God, and it, like, is wildfire that spreads, and thousands come to faith. And the, the text over the next few chapters says, the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, as the church, this Jesus movement begins to grow, so do the tensions, the tensions with, like, the Jewish religious leaders begin to grow because, like, there's this growing group of people who are turning to Jesus and saying, he is the Messiah, he's resurrected from the dead, he's the Savior of the world. And the Jewish leaders were not supporting that at all. So you get to Acts chapter 6, and you, you meet this guy named Stephen. And Stephen was chosen um, to, to serve the church, to serve the, the physical needs of the church, but he did more than that. Like, God had other plans for him. He, all of a sudden, like, we're, we're told that Stephen was, was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people. Like, he was set aside for this one purpose of serving the needs of the church, and God just empowered him with this, uh, the, the power of the Spirit to do these, these amazing things, and people came to the Lord through him. And so the religious leaders kind of focus all of their aggression on Stephen, and, and they frame him, they, they falsely accuse him, um, they put him on a sham trial, and, and Stephen, while he's being accused and his life is, is in the balance, he just gives this beautiful testimony to how, like, Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament, how, how it's all wrapped up in him, it all pointed to him, and, and the crowd, they hear Stephen, and they're furious with him, and this angry mob drags him out of the city and stones him. And Stephen, in his dying breath, what does he do? I mean, he's, he looks just like Jesus, doesn't he? Who's praying for the forgiveness of the people who are taking his life. And so Stephen, that, that moment of his death, it becomes like a flashpoint. Like all the tensions that existed between the religious leaders and the, the Christians, it, 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 it erupts. And... Um, and persecution breaks out. Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says this, On that day, the day Stephen was, was stoned, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So all these followers of Jesus are now forced to flee their homes. They're, they're leaving their communities, their homes, their neighborhoods, all of that, and they're forced to, to flee. And here's, here's what I think is so remarkable about this. You get to, they're, they're, they're persecuted and they're scattered. And here's what Acts 8 verse 4 says. Now those who had been scattered, they preached the word wherever they went. I mean, think about that for a second. Right? These people are scattered. And yet, they preach the very word that is the reason that they were being persecuted. Right? You would think like, wow, whew. I'm getting persecuted because of Jesus, because of my faith in Jesus. Like, maybe I'll just kind of, like, tone that down a little bit and, you know, kind of lay low for, for a while. And they do the exact opposite. They, they double down on Jesus. They, they preach the word wherever they went. They were scattered, but they were not shattered. 
right? It's like, you ever drop a log on a fire? Like you got a real hot fire going and you're, you campfire and you drop a log on it. What happens? It's right? These, that's what happens in Acts 8, this, this picture of these embers. Next slide there. These embers that, that get sent out into the world, all of these thousands of believers that are now carrying the flame of the gospel in their hearts, and they just share it wherever they land in whatever communities. And so some of these embers, they landed in, landed in Antioch, and they start talking not just to Jewish people, but to, to non-Jews, to Greeks, to Gentiles. And they tell them the good news about the Lord Jesus, and people come to the Lord. Now, Antioch was a, was a crazy city. Um, Antioch was called Queen of the East. It was probably the third most prominent city in the Roman Empire. People from all over the world came to the city of Antioch. It was a multicultural kind of melting pot city. There were about a half a million people who lived in Antioch probably around this time. Um, because of its architecture, it was called, get this, Antioch the Beautiful. Antioch the Beautiful. And it's in this place that a beautiful church springs up. Now, it wasn't all good in Antioch. Um, it, in fact, life in, an ancient, in the ancient world was so hard. Here's what Rodney Stark says. Rodney Stark is a, <clears throat> a Christian sociologist, and in his book, The Rise of Christianity, here's what he says. He says, there were extraordinary levels of urban disorders, social dislocation, filth, disease, misery, fear, and cultural chaos. That sound like a good time? Right? That's, that's what life was like in an ancient city. He says there was an extremely high population density, poor sanitation, little access to fresh water, frequent and devastating natural disasters. The city was founded right on a fault line, so every couple hundred years they have an earthquake that would just wipe everything out and they'd have to start over. Rapidly spreading fires, high crime rates, frequent riots that led to life expectancy of an urban dweller, which was probably well under, I'm, what did I say it was? 30? Yeah. 29, um, under 30 years old. Like, your life expectancy is under 30 years old. I mean, in a context like that, can you imagine, it would be so easy to what? Sink into despair? Give up? I mean, life is so incredibly hard, but it is in this context, it is in Antioch, that this beautiful church springs up, that this first multicultural Jew and Gentile church springs up. And why? Like, the question is like, why did the gospel take root like it did in the city of Antioch? And I think there are probably lots of reasons. But I, I imagine one of the reasons is because those people who had been scattered there, who were those embers that landed there and started talking about, the, about Jesus in this place, I think it was because people saw their resilient hope. The, this, this resilient hope of those who came there. Now, there's a difference between naive hope and resilient hope. You know what naive hope is, right? Hey, it's, it's going to be great. It's, good. Every, it's all good. It's going to get better. Just give it enough time. Things will work out, right? There is this, like, there is this hope that is on the near side of pain, hope that hasn't been through the fire, that hasn't been through pain, and it's naive hope. And while, like, you know, sometimes we hear words of naive hope, and it's like, okay, well, there's some, maybe there's some comfort in that. It's kind of thin. It's kind of frail. It's a weak. And yet there is a resilient hope. There is a gritty 
hope. A hope that has scars, a hope that has come through the fire, but that hasn't been consumed. A hope that says, like, I have seen some things. I have seen fire, and I've seen rain. And yes, for those of you following along, that was a James Taylor quote. Um, like, right, you, you imagine this conversation between a person who just arrives in the city of Antioch and a, a person who lives in Antioch and is, is under this, like, just the, the oppression of life in an ancient city and this believer, he, he comes and, and, and they ask questions about, like, what is this hope that you have? And the answer is this, like, I've put my faith in Jesus. Like, I believe that Jesus is the very presence of God who has made flesh, who has made human. And he walked this world as the pardon of God. And it's like in him was life. And his life was the light of all people. And it's like everywhere he went, his light, it shined in the darkness, into the brokenness and the pain of the world. And for everybody who stepped into his light, it was like healing. It's like they came alive for the first time and we watched this happen. It's like everywhere Jesus went, darkness had to flee. Right? But there were those who loved darkness. There were those who, who would rather be in the darkness than in his light. And, and rather than step in the light and be healed, they try to put out the light. And so the darkness gathers against Jesus and it actually kills him. And they crucify him. And he, the light of the world, he, he suffered and he bled and he endured it. And in the middle of all of this suffering, you know what he did? He prayed for the forgiveness of those who were taking his life. It's like he took all the darkness into his own perfect body and it killed him. And nevertheless, the darkness has not overcome his light. Can you imagine this conversation? The darkness has not overcome his light. And his light erupted from the darkness of the grave and he walked out of the tomb. It's not Easter yet, but right? He walked out of the tomb on that resurrection Sunday morning as the resurrected king. And I believe he now sits at the right hand of God the Father and he is reigning as king of heaven and earth and he has given us his Holy Spirit to be his light in our hearts. And he is at work right here, right now, in the middle of the darkness of this world making all things new. And I imagine this conversation, I imagine them saying, and he is why I have hope. Because life is not easy, not because my circumstances are going to get better, not because I believe in human progress, but my resilient hope is in the resurrected Jesus. This is what Rodney Stark says, Christianity would have had, would have, <clears throat> I think it's supposed to be been, Christianity would have been a much needed relief, hope, and salvation for those living in the desperate circumstances of a Greco-Roman city like Antioch. Man. See, desperate times call for disciples of Jesus to live in the resilient hope of our resurrected king. See, the darker the backdrop, the brighter his light shines. And our desperate days, like we, we live in some desperate days. And there's a lot to be discouraged about. Right? You don't have to look very far. Culture has lost its way. Uh, the church, 
like just the church, it, it, it so often it just feels anemic. Like the church, it feels like man, there, there's this form of godliness, but where is the power, the power of God at work? And so we get discouraged about the church, and, and it's easy, right, to just sink into darkness, to the darkness of cynicism. It just says, well, you know what? It's not really worth it. I'm just going to sit in the back and kind of throw stones at things. You know, it's easy to just sink into to cynicism, to nihilism. It's just meaningless, right? It's just, why bother to sink into despair? It's hopeless. And we see so many people around us who are just kind of like being swept over by darkness, and the world needs a beautiful church. The community needs a beautiful church. It needs a beautiful church just like you, LifeBridge. The church that lives in the resilient hope of the resurrected king, that yes, yeah, we have sadness. Yeah, yeah, we have some things we're uncertain about. Yep, we have questions that don't yet have answers. And in the midst of all of that, we have a resilient hope in the resurrected Jesus because we are a part of his story. That he is at work among us. His light is shining through us and we will carry his light like embers scattered into this dark world. God, we, we know that you and you alone are the reason for hope. We know, God, that, um, that we don't have what we need on our own, to, to see through the fog, to, to move through the darkness, to, to have answers for the, for the brokenness and pain uh, of those around us, and even the brokenness and pain in our own hearts. We don't have what we need, but Lord, we know that you do. And so Jesus, our resurrected King, we ask that you would just, just come and move among us. Maybe you'd just be gentle with us, if, if any of us feel like we're just a bruised reed and a, a smoldering wick, we're just, we're barely hanging on, would you just be gentle? Would you just breathe on us? Would you heal us? Would you light the flame in our hearts again? God, would you fill our hearts today with resilient hope? Not in progress, not in our circumstances, but in you and in your victory of light over darkness. God, we trust you. We trust you. And so, God, I just pray that you would, God, just, just continue to form LifeBridge into a beautiful church, a beautiful church that looks like Jesus in this community. God, we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.